Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty. This program is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com and is available for download on Podbeam, the Podbean app, uh, iTunes Store, on Stitcher, and on Google Play Music. Uh, we discovered this week that in order to find it on Google Play Music, you're going to have to put the title Been There, Read That in quotation marks, or you can look for my name, Nathan Batty. Either way, it will pop up if you do the search in either of those methods, using either of those methods. Okay, uh, so today we're going to do a special episode, and we're going to title it, Don't Waste Your Money. And what we want to do is talk about some money tips when it comes to books and how to make sure you're buying good books and not wasting your money. So we'll get started. I want to talk a little bit about budgeting. Uh, Whenever you start talking about books with people, people say, oh, you know, I can't afford books right now. I can't buy some of the books that you're recommending. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about that. My situation is quite unique and I realized that. I got into buying and selling books so that I could build my own library at cost basically. Uh, I get books all the time and so I'm not so concerned about whether a book pans out to be you know an outstanding read or not if it's worth my investment because um in some senses, I have a little bit of an unlimited budget, which is super nice. And I realize not everybody is in that situation. When I first started out preaching, I did not have an unlimited budget. In fact, I was quite strapped financially and trying to make decisions about which books to buy was difficult. I remember growing up, uh, my father, he did not buy and sell books at that time either. And I know we had a tight budget and he would go away to visit with some preachers and he would come home with a box of books and my mother always groaned because uh, she knew you know when dad was going out preaching that he was going to buy some books and that was kind of a little bit of an area of tension in the family um she understood that he needed these books for his work and so you know that's how it is you know some fellas they they buy fishing gear all the time they're trying to sneak fishing gear past their wife or uh, they do hunting gear and they're trying to uh sneak hunting gear past their wife, or conversely, sometimes women uh, go shopping uh, for clothes or at Hobby Lobby, and they come home and they're trying to sneak this past their husband. Uh, So I understand the concept of having hobbies and trying to fund those hobbies and that being problematic at times. And so I want to address those issues and maybe provide some suggestions that will be helpful for you. And also uh, talk about how to best spend your money on as far as which books to buy. Okay, so a while back, I read a book called The Preacher and His Work by Jack Meyer Sr. Again, that's The Preacher and His Work by Jack Meyer Sr. Uh, Jack Meyer Sr. was a preacher in the Cups and Class Churches of Christ. And I came across this book, and I would highly recommend this book. Uh, In fact, I recommend it so much, I contacted the publisher. It was out of print, and I had them print me a batch of these books. I ordered 100, and I still have quite a few of those left. You can pick up a copy at ChristianResearcher.com, The Preacher and His Work by Jack Meyer Sr. And anyway, in this book, 
the, the title is a little bit deceptive because you think, oh, I'm not a preacher. I don't need this book. Well, this is actually about church leadership more in general, uh, the work of a preacher in particular, what preachers should be focused on, but also what a congregation should expect out of their preacher. And one of the tips that he gives uh, to preachers that is also applicable to congregational leaders and teachers is the concept of building your library. And I found some of his material uh, very helpful there. He gave some good suggestions on authors to look after and uh, read after and some authors to avoid, which I think that's important. That's part of what we're trying to do on this podcast. But there's two things in particular that he made a point of that I'd really like to share with you today. First of all, he said, set yourself a budget. Now, what, no matter how big or how small, whatever your budget can afford, set yourself a budget. And I would suggest that at a minimum, you set yourself a budget of $15 a month. 20 would be better, but $15 minimum a month. For 15 bucks, you can buy at least one good book per month. And at the end of the year, you've read 12 books, and that's at a pace that you can both buy and read. I know it's nice to build your library to where you have books on hand when a problem arises or a topic of interest arises that you want to study further, but that's not always practical. Not everyone's in the situation to do it. So set yourself at least a budget of 15 bucks a month. And to put that in perspective, that means basically you eating at McDonald's by yourself twice. You forgo that, and you can have one book a month. Um, so anyway, that's that's the first thing I would like you to kind of keep in mind. And the other thing that he points out is that when you look at your bookshelf, maybe you've already bought quite a few books. Ask yourself, do I actually use the books that are on my shelf? Am I interested in reading them? If you have books that maybe you have started to read and you realize, I'm this book's not for me. I'm not going to use this. I'm not going to read it. Then it's not doing you any good on your shelf. And it's time to get rid of it. Uh, sell the books. You know, that's one thing I do all the time. I buy books all the time, but I also sell books all the time. I, I buy books that I'm not sure if they're going to be good or not. Uh, maybe it was recommended by someone. Maybe it just looked very interesting. And so I buy it. It comes in. I pick it up. I start reading it. And I realize this is kind of a worthless book. And so I get rid of the book so that I can buy another book that maybe is more helpful. I think that's something you have to get used to in the concept of doing things. Uh, that's how you build your library. Get ready to sell the books that you don't use. Another tip that I would suggest is that if you are on a limited budget, and this is something I apply to myself, and I don't really have a book budget, but anyway, I think it still rings true, don't buy the antique collectible version of the book. Um, there's no sense in doing that. I, I looked around my library and I had a whole bunch of really nice collectible books that were extremely rare, that were worth quite a bit of money. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, you know what? I don't use these books. Um, you know, for instance, I had a set of 1830 leather bound Adam Clark's. Okay. When I'm wanting to read out of Adam Clark, I'm not going to pull my 1830 edition down off the shelf and crack it open and start reading out of it. I'm going to pull off the, the cheaper version of it off my bookshelf, or I'm going to read it for free online. And so when you have an option between buying the antique collectible and buying the practical usable one, buy the practical usable one. If you have an unlimited budget and you think it's cool to have books, that's that's fine, that's on you. But make sure you're using the books that you have. Make sure it's practical. And, in regards to that, too, I'm not a huge fan of ebooks, but ebooks do have their place. There are a lot of books like uh, Adam Clark's Commentary, Matthew Henry's Commentary, uh, Barnes Notes, uh, the Bible Study Textbook series, which I really like. 
a lot of those books are free through either eSword or uh, Olive Tree, and that's that's one way to get access to those books. And so this is what I suggest to people: if you're if you have a set of a nice set of Adam Clark's commentaries, basically that's worth a hundred dollars. If you'll be patient, you can sell your set for a hundred bucks. And then you can download it for free in a Bible software program, and you can have Adam Clark's and 100 bucks. Now, here's the fact. Nobody that I know of is going to sit down with Adam Clark, crack open volume one, and read from page one to the end of the book, and then pick up volume two and go all the way through six volumes reading Adam Clark from cover to cover. Nobody does that. They use it as a reference tool. They're going to read maybe a paragraph out of it. They're going to pick him up and see what's he say on Matthew chapter one and verse five but they're not going to read his entire thoughts on Matthew 1. If you're going to read a commentary like that, yeah, it's good to have a hard copy, but if you're only going to use it as a reference, get a free reference and use the free reference and invest your money, your $100, invest it somewhere else. And so those are some tips about where to spend your money and how to save some money. Another concept, and this this is kind of changing gears a little bit, this isn't so much about budgeting, but it is about buying quality books. So you have your budget, 15 bucks a month, and you're wanting to make sure you buy a good book for 15 bucks, one that's going to benefit you and improve your Bible knowledge, Bible study skills, your teaching ability. So you, you want to make sure you're buying a good one. Here's some suggestions that I would make to you that I have found beneficial for myself. This is how I started out and some techniques that I've learned. Number one, this is the number one suggestion I would make. If you don't get anything else, get this one. Ask faithful brethren who know books what books to buy. Okay? Whenever I started building my library, I sat down with Brother Ron Quarter, my dad, Brother Alan Bonifay, and Brother Richard Bunner, and I started asking them what their favorite books were, which ones they learned from, which ones I should target buying, and I made a list of all their suggestions. And then I began comparing the list one with another and the books that were on each list. And there were some books that were on all four of their lists. Those are the ones that I targeted and sat down and began to read. I also got to know Brother Bill Ferguson, who was a book dealer at the time and knew books really well. And I began to pick his mind about not only what books were out there, but what a good price was to pay for the book. That's something that's important to and difficult to find out as well. You know, you'll be in a bookstore and you'll you'll be in half price books saying you'll you'll see this book and it'll be fifteen bucks and you think, Well, this looks like an interesting book. One, is it good book? How can I find this out? So you're gonna to have to do a little research. And two, is fifteen bucks a good price? I would say as a rule of thumb, as far as pricing goes, if you don't have, you know, somebody to contact directly, Amazon's a good place to price compare. That's essentially what they do at Half Price Books. When you bring in your books and you're going to sell them to Half Price Books, Half Price is going to look up online what they can sell them for, and then they're going to offer you pennies on the dollar. So, by the way, whenever you sell books, if you're wanting to make money off books, do not take them to Half Price. Sell them yourself on Amazon, and realize that on Amazon and eBay, you're going to lose about 20% of your actual sell price. So keep all that in mind. But getting back to it, ask brethren who know books and talk to them about it. If you don't know someone that knows books, well, you know me, you're listening to the podcast. Write me and ask me about the books. I I love talking about books and saying, giving people recommendations on books. Uh, I may not know the books, uh, but you're free to ask me. Uh, Find other people who like books and read quite a bit and ask them 
which books they have found helpful. And what I want to say kind of in regards to this as well. Okay, say you find a, a book at half price books and you wonder, huh, I wonder if this is a good book. I want to ask why you're interested in that book. Okay, when you're on a budget, you need to plan on how to spend your money and not buy, uh, spend it whimsically, if you will. Okay, so for instance, if I'm wanting to study the Gospel of Matthew, well, I'd probably contact Brother Mike Criswell, who wrote a commentary on Matthew, and ask him which books he found most helpful in studying Matthew and which books were problematic. Uh, by the way, I would just buy Mike Criswell's commentary on Matthew if you're wanting to start study Matthew. That's a great place to start studying. Uh, but after you've read his commentary, contact him. You want to read some more? Ask him what his favorite and most helpful commentaries were on the book of Matthew. Okay, um, if you want to study the topic of baptism, ask some preachers about what their favorite books were on baptism and target those, buy those, read those. Now, after you've read all the recommendations, you might still want to keep reading along those lines and you might venture out and start uh, trying out some other books but don't begin with the experimental stage begin with the solid recommendation of faithful brethren uh, who know books that will save you a lot of time and a lot of money and time is money right that's the other thing with books you have a limited amount of resource to purchase books and obtain books. You also have a limited amount of time to read the books because you have a life, you have a job, you have a family. And so instead of buying books that might or might not be helpful, uh, learn from the experience of others because gospel preachers who spend a lot of time studying and reading have opportunity to read through and wade through a lot of material that isn't, isn't overly beneficial, for lack of a better way to put it. And so rather than reinventing the wheel yourself, build off of the knowledge of others. That's what wisdom calls for. Okay, so the number one way that I would recommend building a good library is by asking brethren about it. The number two way is by looking for reviews of books. Okay, and here's a few ways to do that. Whenever I'm on Amazon and I see a book that looks interesting, I always go and look at the reviews. If a book doesn't have reviews, maybe that's because it was just written, or maybe it's because this is an oddball who has no backing and no background. Um, Self-publishing is nice in the sense that you can write down your thoughts and you can share it with others in a semi-professional semi type of a format. However, the difficulty with self-published books is they're not peer-reviewed and nobody knows about you. And so when I see a self-published book on Amazon, I'm rather leery of purchasing that book, to be honest with you. Um, especially if there are no reviews and there's no background about what the person has written. Well, uh, One of the benefits of an actual publishing company publishing a book is that they demand a certain level of scholarship and quality out of their writing that you don't always receive in uh, self-published books. And sometimes self-published people are kind of out there on a limb writing about weird stuff, and it's just a waste of your money. I go to Amazon and look for reviews. I look at the critical reviews. You're not just looking for someone who says, yeah, this is a great book. Okay, that's not very helpful. It means they liked it, but it tells you nothing about the book. Look for somebody 
that has written a review that's rather critical of the book that points out its positive qualities and its negative qualities. That's what we're trying to do on this program is to provide you with that same type of material. Um, you can go and find religious journals that review books. So if it's an important book, uh, you can do a Google search and you'll find some type of religious journal where they have given a formal review of the book. That's very helpful. One of the downsides of religious journals is that one, sometimes they're biased in one direction and two, a lot of times you have to have a paid subscription to read the journal. So there's no point of paying money to read the review when you could pay the same amount of money to buy the book. Anyhow, that's just common sense. Um, another, there's two other books that I found that are very helpful in building your library. Uh, one is a, an Old Testament commentary survey by Trimper Longman III. That's the Old Testament Commentary Survey by Tremper Longman III. And the second book is New Testament Commentary Survey by D.A. Carson. A New Testament Commentary Survey by D.A. Carson. Give you a little bit of background on Tremper Longman and D.A. Carson if you're not familiar with them. They are from a Reformed background, Evangelical background. They believe in the full inspiration of Scripture. Uh, they have some Calvinism in them, but uh, D.A. Carson in particular has some New Covenant theology, which is as good. He's not a covenant theologian. Uh, we'll talk more about that in some other podcasts, but anyway, um, they have a high view of Scripture, and they demand that out of the people that they read and study. So that's, that's positive. That's good to know going into it. So what they're doing in their, both the Old Testament commentary survey and the New Testament commentary survey is they're giving one paragraph or two paragraph reviews of different commentaries on different books of the Bible. So, uh, you decide that you want to read out of the book of Genesis. You crack open Tremper Longman's Old Testament Commentary Survey. You go to his section on Genesis, and there he lists about, uh, man, this is probably like 30 different commentators who have written on the book of Genesis. And he gives a star rating system anywhere from one star to five stars. And in his one-paragraph review, he tells you why he has given it either a positive or negative review. He reviews it on levels on content such as levels of writing style. Is this a critical academic type of a read that's not going to be beneficial to the average person? Uh, is it focusing on a really obscure, nuanced aspect of Genesis that has no particular interest to, except to a very minute amount of people? Um, is he going to? Is the writer going to take? A full inspiration of scripture view. Is he going to be fair with the text? Does he have some type of hidden motive or agenda underlying him? A whole bunch of background like that. And that's extremely helpful. He's dealing with the mainstream commentaries that are out there uh, that you can come into contact with. And it's a good way to go through and digest the material. And D.A. Carson does the same thing in the New Testament commentary survey. I have found those to be very beneficial because a lot of times when I'm studying a book of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's not a whole lot that has been written uh, from a Church of Christ background on the Old Testament. Okay, another problem with studying in the Old Testament is understanding the big picture view is very difficult. If you want to study verse by verse, Adam Clark may be a good source to go to on an Old Testament passage. But when you're wanting to see what is the purpose of this book and kind of take the big picture view and approach, Adam Clark's not going to be the guy that you go to. And so... Carson and Tremper Longman can introduce some guys in both the Old Testament and New Testament who are dealing simply with the big picture of you and giving you an introductory level to the book as well. And so that's very helpful. All that material is very helpful. 
Another reading technique that's important to keep in mind when you're reviewing books, you ask brethren, you look at reviews on Amazon Religious Journals, and then guys like Tremper, uh, Tremper Longman and Carson, and by the way, they're not just the only ones who have written that kind of book. There's a lot of those kind of books out there. Those are just two I recommend. But a couple of other techniques are, when you're in half-price books or you're at somebody's library, like if you come over to my house and visit me and you're looking through my library, and you find a book that looks interesting, crack it open and look at the index. Try to figure out if this book is addressing issues that are relevant to you and that are insightful or, or interesting to you. If you have time, go and read the conclusion of the book. A lot of books, if they're good writers, they lay out their whole case throughout the book, and in the last chapter, it's kind of a summary or a review and a conclusion chapter. Go and read that conclusion. Maybe they don't give a conclusion of the whole book, but maybe at the end of each chapter, they give a little summary of what they've discussed. So you look at the index, you find, okay, this might be a problematic chapter here in chapter three. So you go over and you look at chapter three and you go to the conclusion, you read the conclusion so you can understand what his position is. Um, Maybe he doesn't give a summary like that. And so look at the index and go through the book and try to locate some of his main points and discover what type of a position he takes. For instance, the other day I, ha- I pulled a book off my bookshelf written by Miller J. Erickson that was on providence and foreknowledge, and it's called, I believe, uh, What God Knows and When He Knows It. Maybe that's the subtitle. But anyway, I was curious, does he take a traditional position that God knows everything and understands everything ahead of time, or does he take an open theist position where God has intentionally limited his knowledge on almost everything? And so I open this book up and I discover that what his book is, is it's a discussion of both positions, and he's trying to be fair and give a fair um, examination of both positions, to present them fairly and then critique them fairly. So I realize that's what he's doing. I'm going to turn over to the last chapter where he's going to have a summation, basically, of all of his findings. And you can read there in the last chapter the strengths and the weaknesses of all the different areas that he's discussed throughout the whole book. And what I felt like in the last chapter was he was being pretty fair about things. He was at least trying to be fair. And then I'm curious, where does he fall in this? Is he falling in line with a traditional position or with an open theist position? And by reading the last page in the book, you come to the conclusion that though he does see some strengths in the open theist position, he ultimately rejects it and falls for a traditional position, a view of God's foreknowledge. And so that's really helpful. That's a good way to read the book. That took me uh, maybe maybe 15 minutes to do that and to come to a conclusion of what Miller J. Erickson's position is and whether I want to sit down in the future and read the book in its entirety. That's kind of how I practice books. Okay, I buy a lot of books that turn out to be kind of worthless, and I get rid of them so that I can buy more books at Discover. Um, I'm in a unique position where, again, I don't have a budget, and also where um, I can review books. That's part of what we're doing on this program. And I want to be able to go through and give people honest opinions on books in a wide variety of topics and areas. I want to be well-read in many different areas, and it takes time to do that. This is going to be a lifelong process, and I'm going constantly being rotating books in and out of my library, probably for the rest of my life. You you don't have to do that, okay? That's what I want to encourage, give you some hope. You don't have to build a library like I have and like a lot of gospel preachers have. 
you can build a really nice library for 15 20 bucks a month buy books that are usable that are good books where you're not wading through a bunch of baggage uh, brother Roncor has a saying he says it's all chicken and bones what he means by that is every book is going to have some good qualities and some bad qualities or some hang-ups in it you want books that are more chicken than bones okay I love eating fried chicken I love eating fried chicken with the bone in but I do not eat the bones that's kinda how it is when it comes to Bible commentaries and religious books you want books that have some good meat on them but don't have too much baggage that come with them the ways you discover that is by asking gospel preachers by looking at reviews by surveying the books and purchasing wisely build yourself a budget purchase wisely and God bless you in your efforts to learn more about his word. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the podcast today. If you haven't subscribed, be sure to go to either iTunes, go to Podbean, which is our host site. You can go to Stitcher, and you can also go to Google Play Music, and you can find us on there. And by the way, one feature we're going to start doing is that on our website, ChristianResearcher.com, we have a page there about the podcast where we list the episodes and the content. And on there, we are going to start providing uh, a list of the books that we discuss in each episode. So today we talked about Jack Meyer's book, uh, The Preacher and His Work, and we also talked about the New Testament Old Testament Commentary Surveys by D.A. Carson Trimper Longman. I will note those titles on the page so that if you want to find those and go purchase those, you can do that. Um, And we'll start trying to do that with all the books that we mention and at least the ones we positively want to recommend to our listening audience so you can find a list of that easy. Because I know some of y'all are listening to this in your cars, you're going to work, you don't have an opportunity to write things down. You can go to our website, ChristianResearcher.com, and find the list of the books from each episode that we record. Thanks, have a great week, and be sure, sure sure to tune in next week and listen as the next podcast episode comes at you. Have a great one. Our sacrifice, he paid the, he paid the price, the price. He paid it all upon the cross. No longer bound by sin or with eternal loss. He took my sin and washed it away. When I was immersed in that water, I heard